You're listening to the Redemption Church Podcast as we go through a series called A Beacon of Light, a case study of Hezekiah. Tonight we're going to be in 2 Chronicles again. Don't worry, we're not doing two chapters, just one. You're welcome, okay? Uh, We're going to do uh, chapter 31 Chronicles 31, and so my prayer is that you would receive strength from the Lord tonight as we look to God's Word, as we continue to worship. Just thinking when Robin was praying, what a great thing to be able to come to a place where you can just pray with other people, right? I mean, that's what the church is, where God's people, we come in a house or a home or wherever we're at, and we can pray with people, especially with what's going on in the world, and um, you know, a lot of people are praying for Ukraine, for Russia, for a next world war. We don't know what's going on. And I know that those are things in the media, but I also know there's things in our hearts that um, we probably have stuff going on and sound bites going on. And what a beautiful place that we can come together where we can say, well, we want Jesus to be the, the great sound bite. We want him to speak into our lives. And we can have this as spirit of prayer. As I'm teaching tonight, uh, allow the Holy Spirit to minister you, to speak to you. If he's sort of giving you a thought or a verse, you know, write it down, do those things, because we want this to be a spiritual uh, thing that we're doing. This isn't just a good message or a lecture. We're going to the eternal word of God, and we're trying to make disciples and glorify Jesus, and what a blessing it is to be able to do that with you. And so, um, man, we're in this series, which I've really, really enjoyed uh, and am enjoying. It's um, a beacon of light, this case study of Hezekiah. This character, when I was on my sabbatical, it just stood out to me because there's so much scripture about him, but he's hard to sort of look in scripture because he's in the Old Testament. You know what I'm saying? And the Old Testament can sometimes be confusing because you have like Micah living at the same time as his king, but Micah's a whole other book over here. And so what we're trying to do is we're really trying to piece together this king, Hezekiah, and we have accounts of his life in 1 Kings and 2 uh, Kings, 2 Chronicles, and Isaiah. And we gave you a reading plan. It's in the back. You can sort of breeze through that and say, oh, wow, I didn't even know like Micah, the prophet, was alive at the same time he was. Or are these Proverbs were written by the men of Hezekiah? Who would have who thought that? And so, so far, where in the series we're at, we've covered that he's a man after God's own heart, just like David, that benchmark. He sought after God. He was the king of Judah at a young age, 25, despite his family history. Praise God that we can serve the Lord despite our cultural moment or even our family history. Uh, We can actually choose to live for God, and he'll empower us to do what he wants us to do and has a calling on our lives. And so he makes this personal decision to worship uh, the Lord, and he makes all these reforms. He starts uh, worshiping God by inspiring the people and the nation to lead in repentance and starts uh, reforming the temple and making it manageable again, a place where people could find God and worship God. And he's leading in a godly and good way. We looked at his leadership last week. And so we're learning a lot from this king Uh, And tonight we're going to continue to learn another lesson principle uh, as we sort of walk through Scripture again, another chapter, and we're going to talk about organization. Hezekiah organizes in 2 Chronicles chapter 31, and this is what this chapter is about. Organization. I love it. Let me just say it again. Organization. I just, it just makes me happy. It just, it, it makes me so happy. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I get excited about like uh, organizing things and cleaning up things and, and planning things, um, I just love it. I, I just, even this week on Friday, uh, my wife went to Disney with my daughter and a friend, and um, I had the whole day to just work my calendar. It was amazing. I was planning events. I'm like, community groups here, and we're organizing here. I'm giving people calls and texting, like, oh, and they're placing here and there and there, and then we can do this and that, and okay, let's do this. It was just amazing. It was great. I just love it. Maybe this is why I got a business administration degree, a four-year bachelor degree before I pastored, because it was just sort of a thing. Um, but I love planning. I love administrating. I think that's one of those gifts from God that brings people together, and it's certainly how I lead and the capacity of what I do. But tonight we're going to see not just me get geeky about it and organize and lead in that way. We're going to see King Hezekiah do the same thing. And that organization or planning, administrating, how that benefits the body of Christ as well as a spiritual gift. You know, if you think about leadership, it's a very popular thing in the world. But sort of management and organization and planning and those type of things um, are a real important part 
of the family of God. And in order for Hezekiah to accomplish all that he wanted to, he had the spiritual high. Now he's going to say, I need to organize and say, this is going to, going to, how do I walk this out? I think that's really important for us to understand. We can have spiritual moments even coming together, listening to God's word, but it's like, well, how do I apply this? Don't forget that step in the Bible study that you, you know, read or have in, during the week. When you're reading it, you don't just dig for information, right? You observe, interpret, but then that next piece is the application. Lord, what would I do with this information? How would I move forward? And so he's trying to bring the nation forward in this revival, and he's going to organize, and I just love it. I love it. So it's a lot more practical than strategical than the last two chapters. Like last week, the nation suddenly started to uh, remove their idols, and they were throwing them in the Kinron. They were cleaning up the temple. It was there was spontaneous praise of the Lord, uh, and there was even celebration of the Passover. So much so that they were like, "Let's do this another seven days." Okay, and so uh, tonight we're going to look at how this revival is going to not just take place in a moment, but sustain and last to have impact in the nation. You know, revival is taking place in people's lives in a real way, but just as the Spirit of God works spontaneously as we're learning, He also works through plannings and systems to build faith and work as well. Let me say that again, especially for us that grew up in the Pentecostal movement. We sometimes re- think the Spirit of God moves just through, uh, through spontaneity, which He does, but He also works through a system and planning and these other gifts of the Spirit that He gives to the body to lead. And so because he works in both ways. We have to look at both sides of the coin, and tonight that's what we're going to do. He uses things like structures like commandments or his word or even knowing that he's a God of order and a planner. See, I'm not alone. God plans too. You know that, right? He's sovereign, and he works in your lives, and he's planning things out, and he has a plan and a purpose. It's interesting because after Jesus rose from the dead, the first message, Peter was like, don't get uh, don't get caught up. This is no mistake. This is all a part of God's plan. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, I think I wrote it down. It says, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. It was a part of God's plan that Jesus would even come and save for the foundations of the earth. Paul, the apostle, a great apostle and planner uh, in that time that was preaching the gospel in Galatians 4, 4, he says, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives, and we should understand that. It's spontaneous to us sometimes because he don't tell us everything, right? But the reality is he actually, he he works in a providential way. He's not just sovereign over all, but he's providentially working specifically in our lives. He knows all the numbers of hairs on our head, and he cares for us. And so with all of that said, let's jump into the text because it gives us this perspective. And so verse 1 of chapter 31, it says, now when all this was finished, that's the context of just what everything I said, right? The revival, the leadership, the repentance, the reforms, all that stuff has taken place. Pretty important moment has not happened in this nation since a long, long time. 200 something, 200 plus years, there hasn't been a revival like this, okay? And all Israel, it says, who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke in pieces and the pillars and cut down the ashram and broke down the high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin. Remember, Judah is uh, the nation. The, the nation of Israel is 12 tribes. They split. Ten tribes would be called Israel. They just got taken out by, um, or they're, they're going to be taken out uh, in detail, we've looked at it, but they're right in this point, they're going to be taken out um, by the Amorites, uh, which the nation of Samaria would come from. But Israel is one nation. Judah, the split, Judah and Benjamin are the other nation. Hezekiah is the king of Judah. So Judah is where Jerusalem, the temple, the capital, all that stuff going on. Just trying to give you some history. Spurt that in there for you. He says, throughout all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Masia, until they had destroyed them all. Then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, every man to his possession. So 
We jump in the context, thinking about planning, think about what's going on. The revival was great. They were just finishing up. The people were returning back to their homes or their own cities. And remember, they had to return because Jerusalem, there was more people. There was the Benjamin and Judah. There was other areas that they traveled. Usually for these celebrations, Passover and uh, these feasts, they would go to Jerusalem and celebrate. And so now they're like, okay, we went there and it was special. Now we got to go back home, go back to normal life, right? And so they've had this spiritual experience. And what we see the people do here is very, very important. The text says this, they broke in pieces the pillars and the altars throughout all Judah and all of the area. They destroyed them. They were destroying these pillars, and they were destroying these altars. And you know what the people are doing here? They're planning and making a system of worship to worship God in a proper way in their everyday life. This is what they're doing if you understand the context. Now, let me explain. These altars were throughout their land. This was a sin. God did not want to be worshipped in this way, but they built these high places or altars to worship false gods and even worship the true and living God, but in a false way. It was an inappropriate way. And so rather than going to the temple, people would build these altars and worship their false gods, their idols there, and even worship God there. And they were all over the land. And so you literally saw a manifestation of sin all over the land. Just like you see a manifestation of sin all over the land, whatever nation be it, they're not following God. You see those temples and altars and, and, and consequences of what they're doing in the land. And so rather than traveling to Jerusalem, the capital where the temple would be, people would actually inappropriately worship God and be lazy and just, I'm going to do right here where I'm at. Okay. And so the only problem was God wanted them to gather, to celebrate these feasts like the Passover together, to do it in community. But we know from last week, the text says they haven't celebrated like the Passover in a long time because some of the Levites and the priests didn't even consecrate themselves because they were just so unprepared because they weren't doing this a regular thing. Why? Because of all these altars, all these pillars, and all of these high places. But it's powerful to be worshiping God with others. And so he tells them to gather, just like he tells us to gather So they go and destroy these structures and they create this system that will cause them to not worship God falsely. They say, you know what, let's plan ahead. Let's destroy these pillars and altars. Now that we're doing this ceremony, this feast, we got to go back like Deuteronomy and Leviticus tell us to, like like Exodus says, celebrate that stuff. We got to do that. So in order for them to live out this revival, they're getting rid of these altars, these false things. And I think we can learn from their wisdom here. As we just look at this first verse and see how they're trying to create a structure or even get rid of this temptation to worship God in their everyday normal life. They didn't just want to worship God in a special gathering or just like the Passover in a passionate moment. They, they wanted to worship God in their own spaces, in their own towns, in their own homes, and in their own lives. Now, don't get me wrong. Revival is amazing. And special gatherings are amazing. The Bible says that we are to have special gatherings, whether it be a Sunday service, a 21-day prayer and fasting. Uh, Laura and I this week just went to a conference. It was amazing. It was incredible. But do we only live God in those moments? We need to make systems, plan, and think, how do I live for God on a Tuesday when I'm at work and lunch and I'm frustrated because it's not even Friday yet? You know what I'm saying? And the everyday normal routine. And they knew they would be tempted to be lazy, and so they had to make a structure. Hence, this is why we have alarm clocks. Now, thank God with the whole, you know, spring forward, it just, the clock automatically changed. But how many of you guys just hit the snooze and the snooze and the snooze, right? We need a system to wake us up because we know we got to get up and go to work, but if we just let our body do it, it's like we decline and go back to sleep, right? In your spiritual life, sometimes you got to make a system or a plan because if you don't do it, you just decline and go backwards, okay? And so this is really the, the, the significance of what they're doing. They organize a plan to live for God during the non-exciting everyday lifetimes, which the Bible says is most of our lives. It's everyday life. He's the Lord of our life, and not only the up, but the down. And so a couple of questions for you just before we move on into the, the main part of this chapter 
Because we see the people organized, and Hezekiah's about to do it. The question for you is, how can you organize your life to live for God in your everyday life? What does that look like for you? What structures do you need to take in place, like a Bible reading plan or, um, you know, accountability group, praying with someone? What systems or plans do you need to make to worship God throughout the week and not just for high moments? You know, for me, this last uh, year, I made the shift of getting rid of my smartphone. I just was tired of waking up, and the first thing I do is check my smartphone. Not against technologies, but I just got a dumb phone. It's literally called a dumb phone. You just text and call. I know. It, might, it doesn't even make sense to my children. But I was like, listen, I want to be able to go to God's word and be present with people. So I'm going to make a system because I just don't have that self-control. I just don't. Now, you guys all do, and good on you, but I, your pastor doesn't, okay? So I was just like, listen, I'm just going to put my phone, and you know what, my iPhone, I'm going to go charge it upstairs in my office. So when I'm on it and check my social media or do my whatever I need to do, it's like work, and I'm not just constantly because I had a problem. I messed up. I don't know what your problem is, but God can help you too, okay? So you just got to ask those questions. You got to prayerfully do that. You know what I'm so encouraged? Uh, most of you are signed up and have signed up to be in fellowship and create a system of discipleship by just simply signing up for our community groups. That, that right there is one of just, hey, let me, let's make plans. Let's get together. Let's do the Like, you can do this, and it's easier than you think, but you just need to pray about what would the Holy Spirit put on you and your conscience because you don't want to put any other rules or system that God hasn't put on you. We can learn from other people, but the reality is we all connect with God in certain disciplines, and maybe you're strong in this area, but you need to grow in that. And that's something that you really need to seek God in. And that They're seeking God in this moment by doing this thing. So next we see Hezekiah create a plan, a system for the nation to continue to worship God, the Lord, with organizing the priest and the Levites and implementing this practice of a tithe in verse 2 through 19. So first let's the first thing we see Hezekiah do is he appoints the priest and the Levites to minister in the temple. Remember, they just did all this effort, all this work to get it clean so that people can worship. But now they actually have to like organize and put people in charge and have responsibility and leadership and, and do all this thing. Look at verse 2 and 3 with me. It says, And Hezekiah appointed the divisions of the priest and of the Levites, division by division, each according to his service. Now the priest and the Levites for burnt offerings and peace offerings to minister in the gates of the camp of the Lord to give thanks and praise. The contribution of the king from his own possessions was for the burnt offerings, the burnt offerings of morning and evening and the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths. Now the Sabbaths are every seven days, the new moons and the appointed feast as it is written in the law of the Lord. Remember, every system that you take place or that you want to give to even generously should be from Scripture and as it's written of the law of the Lord. God actually writ these systems in place like a weekly thing, a monthly thing, and a yearly thing to actually worship Him and have this system anointed by Him to do this. And so he's saying, I'm going to give generously to this system. I'm going to organize the, the Levites, the priests. Hezekiah, being a good and godly leader, knew he needed a team of people, right? Like we learned last week. So he points these priests and these Levites. And they had different roles than the king. They would be different than the king, but very important because they would point people to the Lord in the way that they worship through their offerings, their burnt offerings, their sacrifices, and all these different things. People that would point others to the Lord were a part of his team. And if you are following our re weekly reading plan, you may have read of Numbers 3 and 8, the role of the Levites and how God set it up through the bloodline of Aaron to minister in the tabernacle and then the temple and to minister not only to the Lord, but for the people. So the Levites were this tribe from the nation of Israel, the Israelites, the 12 tribes from the descendant of Levi, hence Levites. Pretty simple, right? But God chose this tribe when he promised them the promised land to actually minister throughout the people. So he didn't give them a specific land. He said, hey, I want you to be spread out among the people so you can minister. God wants ministry done throughout all the people right where they're at. 
It's not just a central location. Many people think, well, if we're all Christians, why don't we just have us one big service? Because if you had one big service in New York, I wouldn't be there this week. So we got a service here, you know? And so actually God knows this. And rather than making it inconvenient, he spreads all these Levites around. And their inheritance was through these burnt offerings, doing this ministry. And they were actually to give to the, the, the ministry that they were to do work. We also read in, at the end of Numbers, Numbers 28 and 29 this week, how they would receive all these different types of offerings. If you read it, it's a little boring. And it's a little monotonous and it's a little hard because there's this offering and that offering and this offering and offering for this and offering for that. The idea is it's a lot of work. And God wanted someone to minister and ministry sometimes takes work. Oftentimes it takes work because ministry is serving people. And God wanted these people to serve people, to distribute, to organize the offerings, to live for him. And this work was a responsibility and a privilege. Now you have Levites and you have priests. I hope I'm not getting too geeky on you, but I'm trying to break it down, give you a little history, because I have a little bit more time. We're only doing one more one chapter. The priests were a group of qualified men from within the tribe of the Levites. Okay, so you have the Levites, which were from the tribe of Levi. Then you have from that group, priests. Okay, and they had responsibilities over certain aspects aspects of the temple and at that time when they got set up over the tabernacle okay all the priests let me just read this here because i think this hopefully makes sense all the priests were to be levites you had you had if you were a priest you had to be a levite according to the law but not all the levites were priests does that make sense okay so just giving you that structure, that history, because this is what Hezekiah is doing, is setting things up because leadership had been broken. Responsibility had been broken. Offerings weren't being given. And so he really wants this, all this stuff to take place. And he organizes just as King David organized when he established the temple and this priesthood, giving offerings unto the Lord, saying, Solomon, you build it. In First Chronicles 23 and 24, I also... Put that down there. I know you guys were probably thinking, what does this have to do with anything? Well, the reading plan that I put together, it makes sense because if you just blow by this verse, you won't understand anything going on. He's trying to follow God and reestablish the order and system as it was written in the word of God, in the law of God. So the application is, this should teach us for today that leadership within God's people is important and a framework and structure that we are to have as well. Ministry takes work. God has appointed leaders and responsibility and, and order and structure to do ministry so that all can th- survive and thrive. In a day when we don't submit to authority, when we rebel against authority, we recognize that God set up authority. And not just in a governmental way, a pol- uh, in a uh, politicianal way or anything like that, but also authority within the church. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them. That's a verse that everyone memorizes. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's actually a privilege to have leaders, pastors, elders, deacons, these things that the Bible has put in place so that we can actually serve and be a part of people's everyday life and do ministry together. And so in verse 3, Hezekiah appoints them, but he not only appoints these leaders, he now is giving contributions or offerings out of his own life as a leader, as an example to support the new leadership and his team. Now in verse 4 through 10, we see Hezekiah tell the people to give as well, to worship God and support the ministry and ministers in the house of God. Let's, leave, let's read that together. And he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priest and the Levites, that they might give themselves to the law of the Lord. There was a reason why they were to give because they provided income so they could spend their time giving the law, themselves to the law of the Lord, this ministry. As soon as the command was spread abroad, the people of Israel gave in abundance the first fruits of grain, wine, oil, honey, and all of the produce of the field. And they brought in abundantly the tithe of everything. 
And the people of Israel and Judah who lived in the cities of Judah also brought in the tithe of the cattle and sheep and the tithe of the dedicated things that have been dedicated to the Lord their God and laid them in heaps. In the third month, they began to pile up the heaps, finish them in the seventh month. So they were doing it for a few months. They just kept on giving. And then when in verse eight, when Hezekiah and the princesses came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. It's a reason to rejoice when God's people are generous and giving and worshiping the Lord. And Hezekiah in verse 9 questioned the priests and the Levites about the heaps. Verse 10, Azra, the chief priest who was of the house of Zadok, answered him, Well, since they began, the people began to bring the contributions to the house of the Lord. We have eaten and had enough and had plenty left, for the Lord has blessed his people so that we have this large amount left. Let's pause, let's stop, let's focus on this section now. Now what we see in these verses is Hezekiah reestablishes the system of the tithe. This was also written in the law of the Lord, but tithe simply means tenth. It's a percentage, one zero tenth, right? You thought we were talking about organization, now we're going to talk about math. This is so great for me, okay? Uh, the people were bringing a tenth of everything they have, a tenth of the cattle, a tenth of the first fruits, a tenth of the wheat. They were doing that as unto worship. And to me, this is a genius system. This is a genius system of the Lord. Because in verse 4, it starts off, the, the people gave the proportion due to them. It wasn't necessarily a certain amount they had to give. It was a system, a percentage. It was proportionally done from everyone could do this. And let me give you an example. We just gave my son some allowance. He earned some money. So if you make $100, 10% of $100 is what? 10. Wow, mathematicians. Okay, on my side, right? 10% of $1,000 is what? Okay, I didn't hear you. I'm just waiting. I just don't, don't know. It doesn't matter what the number is. You don't do it by the number. You do it by the percentage. If you have a million dollars, you do a tenth of that. If you have two cents, you do two tenth of that, which would be nothing, right? It's just nothing, right? You just, whatever it may be, you just do it, and that is your contribution. And so many times people feel so guilty because they always feel like, I do, I got nothing. I got, this is written in the book, like if you only make a little, then contribute a little, what you have, okay? God is not trying to put a burden on everyone. He set up this system so that you would have faith for everything that you manage, specifically your finances. God knew that we as a people would struggle to worship our resources and money. I mean, he knew that. Jesus came on the scene. Remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6? He says you can't serve God in money. In Luke chapter 16, 13, he says, listen, I've set up this system to free you and so that you can trust me over money, tithing, a system of giving a tenth that you would practically express your faith that's something that can actually hold your heart so close if you're not careful. And God says, when you do this, you'll be blessed because you're always blessed by faith. And I'll meet your every need and show you in a real way, every, every real way in your normal life that I am God and money is not. The book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Notice it's first fruits. It's not if I have something left, God, I'll give it to you. It's I'm going to give God my best, my first, and trust he can provide. And it says, then if you do that and have that faith, then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Listen, as we tithe, give a tenth, and give unto the Lord as worship, we are blessed. And it's not just blessed financially. There is an aspect of freedom that frees you from the, the idol of money and a generosity and having a generous spirit and just simply worshiping the Lord. Whatever the system may be, this is just one of them that God has set up. And he says so much so with our finances. In Malachi chapter 3, he tells the people to test him in this principle of giving. Malachi verse 10 of chapter 3 says, Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be uh, food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. We have promises that God will provide for all of our needs and bless us as we worship. And this includes our finances. 
It includes our time, our resources, our service, anything. But specifically, he had to have all these verses about money because money is a God or an idol that we tend to worship and put our trust in. Now, this does not mean there will not be sacrifice on our part. Sometimes hard. It doesn't make sense to, especially non-believers, to give finances into the Lord so then people can do ministry. And what is ministry? Loving people. This is weird. What, how, why does God do that? Well, there needs to be sacrifice because true sacrifice requires worship. You know, I always tell our kids, we always tell our kids that we have money, we just choose to give it and to invest in the way that honors God. So I don't ever say I'm poor. I say, you know what? No, we could buy those brand new Nike shoes. I want to say, but we ain't got no money. But I've learned by faith to say, because we've chosen to give in a way that honors God. And so we have this missionary we support. Or we give this tithe to the church. Or this offering. Or you know what? We don't need the name brand. We're going to be good stewards and take the off brand so we can give other people clothes as well. It's how you perceive things in perspective. Because the Bible never says that money is evil. It says the love of money is evil. Money is a tool. It's a resource. And if you are super wealthy and rich, you give whatever God tells you to give. You're just going to give a percentage and everyone contributes and we just all are equal worshiping the God. Now, I will tell you this as a practical side note in our reality right now. You guys all know gas prices are going up. People are very scared about the economy. I want to give you some pastoral perspective. Do not be tempted to not tithe and not give generously. Right now, people are very tempted and worried about the economy. Listen, I don't care what happens. Even if we go into a a world war, we as men and women of God need to live by faith. And if it requires for us to not drive as much, then God will meet that need and he'll send people our way for fellowship. Something. Or if you need help, come talk to us and we'll help you pay that bill. But don't be tempted into thinking, well, that system must not be from God because it's really inconvenient, uncomfortable for me. No, it's probably working out your flesh to trust God. And that is okay. And really, I think a lot of pastors, including myself, have gotten scared to talk about tithes and offerings because we feel like, well, it just benefits us and it's so self-serving. No, we teach the Bible here. And over and over again, it says in this text, the tithe, the tenth, the tenth. We need to not be afraid to talk about finances and money because we all know how real that is in our everyday life. We don't live for money. It's not our God. And we need to declare that and we need to practically practice this because it's a biblical thing that we're talking about to live by faith. And so tithing is a great system, genius in my mind, and it is for us today. Because here's the pushback that I get, especially for believers, Christians. Well, new covenant, bro. New covenant, man, new covenant grace, man. And I'm like, yes, I get it. Um, Let's address it. Second Corinthians, Paul, chapter eight, eight and nine. Read the whole two chapters this week. The New Testament talks a lot about money. Remember the whole like cancer of God and money? That was your Lord Jesus. I'm just saying, okay? Paul says to the believers in Corinth, but as you excel in everything, okay? Remember, it's a system. It's not the system. You sing, and that's a spiritual practice. You gather together. You serve. This is a in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, in our love for you. See that you excel in this act of grace. This is how Paul tells us what giving is. In the context, this acts of grace is talking about tithes and offerings, being generous. Or if you read 1 Timothy chapter 6, how he exhorts those that have finances and resources to be generous and give. We need to be people that respond with our faith and finances. And as you read chapters 8 and 9, you see it's pretty clear that Paul is encouraging uh, not just to give the tithe, but to go above and beyond, to excel. He's like, okay, we could start with the tithe, but that was under the law And this is grace, so how much more should we be giving? How much more should we be doing this? How about you just ask Jesus, what does your finances look like, and how can you serve and worship him with that? In fact, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6 and 7, he goes on, he elaborates, says a whole bunch of things, and then he says, to this point, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, 
for God loves a cheerful giver. That to me alone should cause you to give finances and tithes and offerings and be generous, not just in the church, but in the outside church. It says God loves a cheerful giver, meaning God loves when we worship him in the, through our finances in this way. Like we just, it's possible to please God without faith, the Bible says, when you have faith and you're generous to maybe a family member that's going through a hard time, right? Or, or maybe you see a missionary and you guys were just given cash and a thought about like, hey, just bless you, brother. It was $30 or 40 That pleases God. We want to be a people that please God. And so this is why I think it's so amazing, so important. If you look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5 through 9, explains that tithing was practiced as worship and honored God even before the law of Moses was even in place. You read about that in Genesis with Melchizedek. And Jesus actually affirms the tithe to still practice it along with other practices like justice and love and mercy. In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, he tells you, Whoa, Pharisees, don't forget the tithe. You still do the tithe, but have you thought about Don't you? It's love. It's worship. It's loving your neighbor. It's caring for people. It's doing this. And so the point isn't, giving money. The point is worship. And it's interesting because in this context, our reading plan guided us to Micah. Micah was a prophet alive at the time, understanding that people would drift away and fight from that, okay, from giving unto the Lord. And he wrote a section in Micah chapter 6, verse 6 through 8, and he tells us that there is a place for worship, especially in religious systems and giving, but it has to be of the heart, and we can't just give and not even think about it. We have to pray, we have to honor God, we have to bless Him. It says, these are rhetorical questions, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before Him with burnt offerings, with calves, a a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with the thousands of rams, with the ten thousands of rivers oil? He's actually reversing it. Because there would be people that now would practice the system and just give a whole bunch of stuff, acting as if that's worship, but they're just trying to do to get a whole bunch of followers. And at the time, Israel, their nation, their brother nation, was doing all this religious stuff, but their hearts were far from God. And Micah's like, listen, you guys, it's not about how much you give. You can have ten thousands Rivers of oil, you can have a thousand rams, which is a lot of resources back then, right? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? Now you remember Ahaz gave his firstborn to the God of Baal. Remember that? This was a form of worship. He's saying, well, are you going to just do this? And this, is this just about a great sacrifice? No. The fruit of my body for sin of my soul, no. It's about worship and faith and honoring God. Don't you feel guilty if you can't give that much or God just says, give this. Give that cheerfully, love the Lord, and he's pleased with us. It's okay. And Jesus would affirm this as he taught about the parable, or not even a parable, it was he looked at this woman with two mites in Luke chapter 21. And all these people, these Pharisees, these rich people were given all these resources. And he says, look at that lady. She gave more than all of these people because she gave it from the heart. You see, God wants our hearts. And this is, what, this is what's happening here is these people are giving their hearts. They're throwing away the idols and they're saying, God, I want you to be worshipped and used to be blessed. God desires our worship in not a certain amount, but to walk with him. Because look at verse 8. The prophet goes on and says, Do you want, does God want all your resources, all your lambs, all your oils, all everything, everything? So you have, no. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. God desires our worship. The tithe is a great system, an act of worship in our lives. And so Paul would even address this in his first letter to Corinthians, 16, verse 1 through 4. They teach us that giving should be regular, it should be planned, it should be proportional, and it should be private. I don't have time to go into that. Maybe I'll do a live devotional that covers that section. But we see it throughout all the New Testament, the Old Testament. It's just a system. Don't be afraid of a system or even a tradition, the Bible says, if it honors God and it's used to worship Him. Now, the system of tithing wouldn't just benefit them, 
as they honor the Lord in worship, it would benefit others. Look how the tithing blesses the house of God and its ministers. In verse 4, the Levites and the priests, they were able to give themselves to the law of the Lord, that text says, because these funds were able to provide for them and their families. And so they could do the work of the Lord. People were giving the, the, the burnt offerings and the calves and the oil and the wheat, and that actually was feeding the families and providing. It was like an income for the priests and Levites. Hezekiah questions the high priest at the time, and, and the high priest says to him in verse uh, 9, 9 and 10, it says, Since they, speaking of the people, began to begin bring contributions into the house of the land, we have eaten and had enough and have had plenty. You know, when the people of God tithe and worship appropriately with their finances, there's plenty to do the work of the Lord. There's plenty to do the work of the Lord and provide for ministry. It is a very sad thing when I read of statistics of how non-Christians, non-believers, give more to con- non-profits, even churches, and, and non-profits and contribute more than Christians. They say in America, the average American gives 2.9% or less to a church or nonprofit. And it shouldn't be this way. There's a crazy statistic in a book, but if every Christian actually gave this much, there would be billions of dollars left over for mission work, for pastors, for resources, all that stuff. And many people, which is a testament to your faith, are honored by the Lord in this church because we are a smaller church. But you guys are generous. I don't know how much you all get. We just did the financial report. But every year, it's like one of my favorite meetings because I get to testify of your faith because it's like, this was our budget and God provided. Now listen, we're not like balling. We're still using a couple of used things. We're using the resources we got. But whatever he gives, we use and want to use for the gospel. And he takes care of his church in that way. God wants to provide for people's needs through his people and wants us to be a generous people. And part of this is our tithes and our offerings should be provided for ministers' needs, especially their families, and them to do the work of the ministry, faithfully teaching the Word of God. If you look at the New Testament, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17 and 18, there's a few other verses, but Paul actually uses his own interpretation of an Old Testament passage. He says, "...let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor." And this honor is where we get the financial word honorarium, okay? So they should be paid, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle on an ox when it treads out of the game, quoting an Old Testament passage, and the labor deserves the wages. When we pay for a pastor's salary, it frees them up and should free them up to do more ministry. And this is a good and great thing because... Just like in the nation of Israel or in Judah right now, it freed them up and people were being blessed. It blesses a church when the pastor has opportunity to be freed up to do house visits, to have funerals, uh, do weddings, just support, counseling, studying time to do God's word, teaching, preaching. Like there's so much work to be done. Work could be, ministry is always there because people are always there, right? So this is actually a way where if you pay a person, a pastor, an elder a salary, their time is freed. And so that can actually serve the people in the church and in the community, and everyone benefits. Because as you're worshiping the Lord, that offering goes to further the gospel and to do ministry. And we as a church, we think it's one of the best investments for a church to do, to have a salary for a pastor. And so you guys, many of you know I'm bivocational. I'm not there yet, but I'm not begrudgingly or wanting that or There's going to be no special offering tonight, you know. It's not about that. But it does free us up for me to only work part-time so that way I have a lot more free time and flexibility to do ministry. And hopefully many of you benefited from that. And so in verses 11 through 19, we're not going to read them, but Hezekiah commands the people to prepare the chambers of the Lord and the people faithfully brought their contributions, their tithes, their dedicated things, and the priests faithfully worked, and the Levites faithfully worked. And you see this partnership. 
The families were being taken care of. The Levites, the priests were being taken care of. The people were being taken care of in their own homes, just as the tithes and offerings should be spent today to further the gospel and to do ministry for people. And here is the result of this system of offerings, of tithes, of trying to worship God in their everyday life. Look at verse 20 and 21. It sort of gives us just a, a little brief details about his ruling, his leadership and organization before it gets into more details in chapter 32. Because I think God wanted us to know, hey, this is a good thing. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah and did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord his God. It was a good and right thing that he set up this principle and obeyed God's word. And every work that he undertook in the service of the house of God and in accordance with the law and the commandments Seeking his God, he did with all his heart, and he prospered. Hezekiah was blessed. The people were blessed. The ministers were blessed. The families were blessed. Man, people prospered as there was leadership that sought God, and as they sought to only live God in a high moment, a revival moment, but also in their everyday lives. We'll be blessed when we just serve God in our everyday lives. I pray that you have some highs. I pray that God meets you in special ways and that he ministers to you in, in great feasts and fest, uh, festivals. But I hope he also meets you in the fasting and the lamenting and the everyday life as well. Sometimes we can have both of those things in the same day. But God is with us through it all. And the nation was blessed by their worshiping of him and will be blessed by our worship of him, even through the system of generosity and tithes and offerings. Now, as we close and prepare for this time to just sort of respond and meditate, to think uh, about revival, I was thinking about this, like, how do you close? I sort of joke around, like, because that's, you know, a famous thing. It's like people teach on, on a tithing and then they do an offering. Um, but I think the big picture in the context of what this passage is saying really is worship, right? And, it, and as we're studying Hezekiah, uh, there's this spiritual awakening happening in Judah. We read about it. It's exciting. This is why they're giving. This is why they come to Jerusalem. Like God is doing a great work. And I, I just pray and I hope that it causes us to desire the same thing in our nation, in our community, our city, our family, and even in our own lives, that we would have revival, that I hope this text, as we're reading through it, it would remind you that there is hope in the darkness, that we need God to move and work. We need him to do this. We need him to bring leaders. We need to bring priests and Levites. We need him to bring his spirit into our lives, personally, our hearts, our families. Um, but as we read this, I hope that you get a sense of hope. Because we can hope for these things because God is faithful and what he does in the past is showing us, Romans 15, 4 says, these things are written so that we would have hope and encouragement to know that God can do it again. God can do this again. He could bring revival. Like Ahaz was sacrificing his son and they were worshiping all over with these altars and pillars. And there was sin everywhere. And you have so many people watching the news and being so negative, thinking that God cannot work. God was always alive. He was alive in that darkness, and he is alive in our darkness. And he wants to shine forth in our hearts first, all the light to the community. And it was with this one king, this one guy, that means I'm going to seek God. I wonder about you. Are you going to seek God? With your heart, with your life, with your family, that's when we'll have community revival. That's when we'll have na national revival. The world will change if we seek God and ask for revival. Forget the finances and the offering, the system. We need the Spirit of God. That's what we need. That's what we see in this text. You know, Laura and I, we went to a conference this week, and that's a little bit what they were talking about. One pastor preacher that I like, he's this pastor in New York, John Tyson. He talked about the common thread of most revivals that have taken place in the world through prayers. And he said, you know, you have to dig underneath. Of course, there is repentance. Of course, there's holiness, uh, a life of righteousness. There's unity of the church. There's uh, prayer. But underneath that, it's people crying out, I'm hungry for God. God, you are welcome here. It sounds like that is a common prayer. Just 
the prayer of the, the saints from old, come Holy Spirit. From Acts chapter 1, I was just wait, God, we just wait upon your spirit to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But we start with that, just come Holy Spirit. And we want to be people as a church that starts revival by saying, come Holy Spirit. Not manipulating systems. Waiting upon the Spirit of God, saying, God, do a work in my life, do a work in my family's life. As we come to communion and say, God, I can come to you because you came to me first. You loved me first. You died on the cross. You rose again. There is resurrection power in the mighty name of Jesus that we have access to a relationship with God through Jesus and we celebrate. And so we want to respond by saying, come Holy Spirit. We want to take communion and say, pray and thank God that we can go to God boldly and ask for his mercy and grace. And then we want to, after communion, pray that God would do a work in our family's life, in this community, in this nation. There is nothing wrong with praying for Russia, for Ukraine, for all these things. God hears our prayers, the Bible says. We can have confidence in this and we can actually talk to God and it makes a difference. Amen? And so we need to respond. We need to think about this. What does that look like? Let's be a people that welcome God in our church, that welcome God in our lives, that pray for the nations, that pray for the situations going on in our friends and our family, that we cannot make a system and plan our way through it. We need the Spirit of God to move. Let's infuse hope, faith, and love into our situation as we're learning this text to rely on God that there is a great God that loves us, that hears us, and we can go to him and ask. This pastor said, God comes to where he is wanted. It's a beautiful invitation, but it is an invitation. All who are heavy laden and burdened and broken, come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. Let's invite him in this space, in this moment, and let's finish by worshiping, having a posture of prayer, celebrating communion, and saying, Holy Spirit, come. Would you stand with me? They did this at the conference I want to do with you. It was so good. It's just a simple prayer. The saints have been praying for ages. Would you just open your hand as if you want to receive something from the Lord as a symbol of your heart? And would you just say this simple prayer? Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. Come in our hearts. Come in our church. Come in this city, God. We need you in our world, God. Holy Spirit, come. As we continue to cry out this prayer through song, I just invite you to take the elements of communion when you're ready. We'll take communion together and be infused with hope now, knowing that God listens. God is here with us, and it does make a difference. Lord, we bless your name and we trust you to do this great work. Bring revival, Lord. This is Pastor Daniel Williams with Redemption Church. Thank you so much for listening to this message. You can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or YouTube so you never miss a message. The mission of Redemption Church is to pursue and to proclaim Jesus, and we would love to have you partner with us. Feel free to share these messages with your family and friends. And also, if you'd like to donate to the ministry, go to redemptiondb.com. God bless you.